Hey, this is Kate. I'm a forensic psychologist and crisis clinician, and I collect stories. Everything from true crime to trauma to parenthood. There's a lot more in common between depression and sociopathy, or between serial killers and podcasters, than you might think. Are you sure you really want to know? This is Ignorance Was Bliss at iwbpodcast.com and iwbpodcast on social media. I had a funny thought today. Let's hear it. If someone is, is it actually funny or is it just funny to you? It's just funny to me. If someone is okay. listening to our Nobody's listening to us. If <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Mistake number one. But if someone happens to turn us on, uh I'm gonna pretend I didn't Someone happens to turn the podcast. The on. podcast on. <laughs> uh and they listen to our episodes back to back. They're going to go from our last episode ending with me trash-talking uh, black-and-white films immediately into, like, it's such a, like, character development change. Just into Don't try and play this loving... off as you being a fully realized character. No. <laughs> I still don't think action movies hold up. But dramas. Look, I know that for 24 hours you've been... Doing mental gymnastics, trying to rectify these things, but um, the monster that is my past self. That's right, that's right. Starting to reckon with it already. Hello, and welcome to the Picture Show with Austin and Phil Rude. I am Phil Rude, and I am the dad. And I'm Austin Rude, I'm the son. This week we watched a movie, and then we're going to talk about it. It's what we do every week. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. I'm into saying things in weird ways today. Wow. Well, you're just home from work. That's true. Blowing off some steam a little bit. <sighs> Sick uh, of kids. Yeah, yeah. well, you know. Uh, what else? What else you got going on? What have you been watching reading listening to uh new this week is wandavision uh that just came out last week yep three episodes in pretty good although i did hear someone made a good point that the pilot episode does not follow like traditional pilot rules like establishing the story or like the characters because it basically falls into the marvel flaw of you have to be caught up to understand it. Well, yeah. I mean, these are, like, existing characters. Right, but, like, if you're trying to create a TV show, you should still be reintroducing the characters so that this could be a jumping-on point. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, that's my big complaint. I mean, that's Marvel through the comics and everything over mm -hmm. the last 40, 50 years. Is, yeah. if, if you're not... Where do I jump on is the kind of the thing. I feel like with a TV show, though, it's more egregious. Like, compared yeah, to, like... maybe a little bit, yeah. Compared to, like, uh, Luke Cage or Daredevil. Or, like, The Mandalorian. Like, mm -hmm. it plays off of existing Star Wars, but you don't have to have it. Yeah, that's actually a better comparison. Um, 
just as far as like TV shows go, but all the like the new crop of TV shows don't feel like they're going to be standalone at all. So, you know what I mean with all of them spinning off of the Mandalorian, like we talked about, like yeah. it, like it just being like a backdoor pilot for all these things. Yeah, Disney is just becoming weird. Yeah, well, they're an IP farm more or less, so it just I think kind of goes with the territory. Um, yeah, I saw a little bit of it when you were watching WandaVision the other day. And I know there's a, a whole, like, other thing going on. But the bulk of the episode just being, like, a 70s-era sitcom complete with, like, bad comedy. I'm just, like, I I don't know. It's, it is nothing that appeals to me. See, that episode... Like of course, like I'm they're in the Bra- they're in the Brady Bunch house. Uh, mm-hmm. It's the weird. Oh, they, I'm having a baby. And, they they yeah. did the intro was Brady Bunch, right? But I think they did the 50s and 60s better. Like the 50s episode is like really good. It's like a okay. oh, our boss is coming over for dinner. We have to impress. Like that's what I'm saying though. I, it's I've, silly, but, but it's I've, fun. I, it's all it's all comedy of that era, and it's all the same tropes of that era. And I've seen all that before, and I don't, at a certain point, it's sort of like, even with something like Stranger Things, that has all the 80s fan service, at a certain point, they're just pointing at it too much. And it's like, go to the plot, go to the story, stop pointing out all of this. Aren't we clever for doing an I Love Lucy episode but doing it with Marvel characters, essentially. Like, it, it just... Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not judging it, because I haven't seen it. I'm just saying, like, that's... It doesn't appeal. The concept of it doesn't appeal well, that's, to me. that's... You have no desire to see it. Right. And that's why. I just am kind of... Plus, they're, like, the two lamest characters out of the MCU. I like Vision. Eh, he's fine, I guess. All right. He's, he's just fine. That's That's all I have for this week. Cool. Mm-hmm. How uh, about you? I've been watching Better Call Saul. I started... Keith Gala recommended a show on HBO Max called Warrior. Okay. About a, a Chinese immigrant around the turn of the century, late, late uh, 1800s, somewhere in that time period, uh, who basically falls in with like Chinese organized crime. Um, Hmm. And it's, it's like a Kung Fu, like martial arts style show Uh, a lot in the style of like old Bruce Lee movies where there's a plot, but it's kind of just to get you to the next big fight scene and, and everything like that. It's, this is a new show. uh, Yeah. Um, I think there's a season of it on HBO Max. I just watched the first episode. I enjoyed it. Uh, when I, when I get through a couple of other things, like I need to get into Korra so we can do an episode on that. Um, so when I get a a couple things for a podcast cleared, uh, I'm going to go back to it and and check it out. I, you can only watch so much at one time. Yeah. When you, you know, we're working on limited time period here, you know, so uh, but yeah, uh, I, I enjoyed that, but that's, that's about all I've got. And I, I got a new graphic novel this week called Bird Goes West about, uh, Charlie Parker. Uh, 
in his time living in California and bringing his jazz to the West Coast and introducing people to it there. That sounds cool. It is cool. It's told from a lot of different people's perspectives. I don't have the the author's name uh, here. I should have had the book in here. But he is uh, apparently a, a music educator. So he basically just took this thing he loved and made this comic book about it. And it's it's pretty sweet. That sounds cool. Yeah, I'm enjoying it so far. Uh, we, we should put it in like the description or something. Uh, yeah, I'll drop a, I'll drop a, a Powell's or a Amazon link in there mm-hmm. where people can check that out. Who, who needs to remember names of things? When you <laughs> I know. Just... <laughs> I really am sort of like, uh, yeah, it is as easy as dropping a link in there. But, um, <laughs> but other than that, I just, uh, you know, been catching up for the show. So why yeah. don't you tell us what we... Don't tell us. I know. And so does everybody who's seen the description of this episode. Well, why don't you all pretend and (laughs) I'll tell you what we watch. For those of you who blindly turn the podcast (laughs) on. (laughs) Those who are being force-fed this in a dark uh, dungeon. Yeah, if if this is uh, the person in the cubicle next to you is listening to this (laughs) and and you didn't see the episode title, Austin's going to fill you in right now. It's 12 Angry Men. Hold your shock. Uh, This week we watched the 1957 courtroom drama, Twelve Angry Men, in which a jury holdout attempts to prevent a miscarriage of justice by forcing his colleagues to reconsider the evidence. The film stars Henry Fonda, Lee J. Cobb, Jake... Jack. uh, Or Jack Kulog? Klugman. Klugman. uh, Jack Warden. And Ed Begley. It is written by Regina Rose. Reginald. Reginald Rose, <laughs> who also wrote the uh, teleplay a few years earlier and was directed by Sidney Lumet. Sidney Lumet. Sidney right. Lumet is a prolific director. He directed Dog Day Afternoon. Um, I'm going to. I should have pulled this up earlier because this IMDb page is full of people that you know. Even if you can't tell where you know them from. Um, mm-hmm. a, a lot of character actors of the 1950s. Um, but like some of them I would look up on IMDb. I'm like, I know that guy. Where do I know? Like Jack Warden. And then you pull up his IMDb and you realize, oh, I know that guy as a, um, a as an older actor. Like things that, right. that this I is watched in his past, right? Things that I watched growing up, he would be like the old guy in in these comedies and things like that. And so it it's really weird to see them as much younger men in this one. Interesting. I know none of these actors, um, which shouldn't come as a surprise, but. Yeah, it's uh, they're of a different time. Henry Fonda, you know, is probably. Like clearly the biggest star in um, in this movie. Who does he play? He's uh, the main character. The holdout. The, the, yes. Okay. The, the guy who's the original holdout of this of this uh, this jury. And you know, I even when I knew who he was, he had been in like on Golden Pond, like as an old man. So uh, all of this, and uh, I think the other thing i've seen him in he's in like a lot of westerns 
And he was in um, The Grapes of Wrath. He's Tom Joad in The Grapes of Wrath, the movie. I haven't seen it, but I've heard of it. You should. It's uh, very good. And I did see this piece of trivia for uh, for the movie uh, yesterday, where basically Henry Fonda did not get paid for this movie. He He was supposed to get like a percentage of the profits, and this movie didn't turn a profit. Really? So he essentially never got paid, but he still listed this as one of the most important uh, pieces of work that he did. I'm shocked that this didn't have, like, it seems like it would. It seems like it would have been a big movie. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't know if it, I mean, this is like. Maybe it's a hard to sell sort of thing. I mean, if you look at. Very well done dramas that are done today, they're competing against Marvel movies and these big franchise movies. Maybe it was something in in this time period. I mean, we just watched The Hidden Fortress, which was a big action movie at the time. Westerns were really big. Uh, science fiction was starting to come into being a little bit more. You know, maybe yeah, it was up true. against big blockbusters and... The fact that the, that a television version had been done just a few years before, maybe people saw it there and were like, oh, I don't need to... I, I don't know. There's any mm-hmm. number of reasons that movies fail. But I think over time, this has become sort of a classic movie. I think so. I mean, they remade it... Um, in the 90s? What, in the, okay, yep. 90s. All right. I wasn't sure if it was 80s. But yeah, like, if it's good enough to be remade later on... And apparently, still be good in the remake. Then uh, it, I think that says something. I'm I'm eventually gonna watch the remake because there's like mm-hmm. in looking for it, like you're seeing all these good reviews and stuff of it, and it's got a good cast. I think Ed Harris is in it, Jack Lemmon. Mm-hmm. These older character actors were in that version of it because it's such a I think respected film. Right. Well, that's what. Um... Last episode, I said, like, oh, I found it on YouTube, but uh, it was the newer version. Uh, oh, okay. It's free on YouTube, so. And the TV version that was done before this movie, like, a f- by a few years, I think it was done for a, a TV show called Studio One, uh, which was essentially, like, a play on TV. Um, That was, that's, I think, on Amazon Prime. I think you can watch it free if you have Prime. Okay. Is it like one go? Just... It It's like an hour long. It's like 45 minutes or an hour. Yeah. Okay. Um, as opposed to this is, it's about half the length of this. Um, Interesting. But uh, what, I mean, you picked this movie. Was there a reason that you picked it? Uh, do you have a history with this movie? Did you just, was it something you just wanted to watch? I actually wrote this movie. Wow. I don't know if you know. Yeah. It's very <laughs> impressive. No, um, I watched this movie in seventh grade. Uh seventh grade civics class. We were doing uh I assume, I don't remember, but I assume it was like the courtroom uh procedures going over the different right. aspects of that. Uh the judicial system as a whole kind right. of yeah. Um juries and then we watched this movie and I remember uh, everyone kind of groaned when they found out it was black and white. It was like an up and down, like, yay, we're watching a movie. Oh, uh, it's black and white. Um, oh, 
it's related to the subject. Um, but then, and I was going along with everyone. I was like, yeah, this probably will be boring. And I just remember by the time class was over, I was like, wait, I'm in class. I was so absorbed in this movie. Um, so I wanted to see if it would hold up. Because uh, I couldn't really remember the details of this movie. Right. Um, I th- I had a suspicion, like, maybe this was just... It was the only thing on, so I just liked it because I had something to Because you weren't doing classwork. Right. It was, uh, yes. I was wrong. This movie is great. That's yeah. awesome to hear. Um, and I think that speaks to both sides of your argument last week that... Uh, that new audiences have a hard time connecting with old movies. Uh, the reaction to seeing a black and white screen come on, you know, turned off a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's it's just hard to get people to sit down, but also the other side of it being, if you do sit down with an engaging old movie, like you find yourself, oh, I am the audience for this movie. Like, right. Um, and I, I think a lot of uh, people, I don't think... I was in the majority leaving the class. Like, I'm glad I watched that. I think a lot of people tune the movie out. Sure. But um, it's, it's... I, they're also seventh grade. Like, it's 13, 14 year olds. There's, uh... I, I feel like we were a little young to be shown that. Like, it was age appropriate, but it was like, I feel like slightly more mature. Maybe. Um, there, there are, there is nuance to this movie that, a kid probably won't get, but I think it's a good idea to put some of these ideas into the, um, younger people and educate, like, this is what being a jerk, uh, being on trial is, is you're not supposed to bring this person's criminal record into this. You're not supposed to bring your personal prejudices into this. You're not supposed to, you're not supposed to prove them innocent. You're supposed to, uh, say guilty or I can't say for sure guilty. You know what I mean? Innocent until proven guilty. These sort of uh, hard to explain ideas about the the weird gray area between innocence and guilt. I think this movie does it so well because they're, they keep going back to like, I don't have to think he's innocent. I just have to, see if there's a reasonable doubt. I We have to see if there's any chance that he's not guilty. And they, I like that they put right up front, like, if we just say guilty, we're killing this kid. We're, we're yeah. putting him, he will go to the electric chair and die. You, you so have you to have, have to be sure. Certainty. Yes. Yeah. And, um, the idea that this, almost the entire jury is just, Surface level, yep, guilty. Let's get out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's shocking once you start breaking that down, and the turn of events through this movie is. I I crazy. really love how they uh, slowly um, the doubt creeps in because, like, of course, this movie that's what it's about. But yes. like, uh, to start out with, everyone thinks he's guilty, and he just keeps on hammering away. At this uh, story that the prosecution has uh, put together. Right. Until it's like, none of this really holds up. None of this has weight. 
you come to realize like how much stuff that's presented in in a trial is possibly circumstantial and and this Mm -hmm. is sort of um the flip side of a lot of legal dramas where uh we see things from like the lawyer's point of view and lawyers are saying things like we don't have to prove it we just have to put this idea in a jury's head Right. You know what I mean? Like they're playing to the jury. They're playing to the jury and playing, you know, uh, anything like the client. Is it the client? Runaway jury. Uh, these John Grisham kind of thrillers. Um, Better Call Saul has a certain amount of this. Like this idea of like, we will select a jury of sympathetic like mothers and we will put these ideas in of, mm-hmm. of you know, kids being harmed in and you know all of a sudden they're talking about playing on prejudices of it it perverts the whole idea of a jury absolutely and and this coming at it from the jury's point of view where they start to more and more think critically it's just such an interesting take on a legal drama where it's not about lawyers it's Mm -hmm. about the the men who are actually deciding you know, what mm-hmm. the outcome of this trial is. Lawyers don't decide it. The jury decides it. Right. I I noticed um, there, there are themes present in this movie that aren't explicitly uh, said. It's more like an example of, like, um, there's everyone, I feel like they all went into this trial like, oh, it's a murder trial, and they automatically assumed he's guilty. Or like, right? They kind of went in with that bias, and then everything that they were shown uh, built upon that, which isn't what you should be doing uh, in a court case. Like, kind of the way, right. like, like in the beginning, you see in the small talk, a lot of the just like offhand <sighs> remarks are sort of like, "Oh yeah, well, I knew he was guilty." Like, it's right. Th- they're not basing this in evidence. It's just this idea that they entered the court with and that was the lens they chose to view this case with. Sure. And, uh, several of them actually through the course of the conversation sort of reveal their, their personal prejudice against this, uh, young Latino kid Mm -hmm. that they have this prejudice against people who live in slums, immigrants, people who are not white. Um, and I'd like to say that's a product of the time, but we all know that it's really not. It's it's, it's really not it's confined very, to that. Very time. still relevant today. I I was surprised at how accurate <clears throat> and open and honest this movie was at kind of portraying that. It does feel really progressive for the time, doesn't it? Yeah. Like um, the idea, the old man who's a immigrant. Mm-hmm. Like probably my favorite character, in Nikola this. Tesla, <laughs> pretty uh, much. He, like. His his whole demeanor about, you know, saying things like, yeah, I came in here with this idea that he was guilty, but now I'm not so sure. And mm-hmm. him being willing to say, yeah, I think I was wrong. And I'm I'm going to I'm going to switch over. He was like he was the first one to go over to the other side, wasn't he? Yeah, he he said he didn't. um he wasn't totally sure. Right. 
when he voted not guilty, but he wanted to hear out this guy because uh, he recognized that the holdout was that there was putting himself on the line, sort of right, and that they, that he did have he was making some points. Yeah, yeah. He he realized the stakes of it, and there's even a line he talks about like how great your country is that you get to uh, perform a civil duty like this, where you get to. Um, really think about and help people. Right. He... I, that's not exactly how he said it, but essentially, I... Essentially, like, everybody is burdened by being there. And he's actually proud to be there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he's happy to be there and happy to be working in democracy. I don't know, like, how many people you know who are immigrants to America. Um... But immigrants tend to have this entire different perspective on America and what it means, you know, what it means to participate in democracy. And and, and it is, um, it's just skewed from like a norm, normal perspective that like you and I would have because we take things for granted that that's what happens when you're born with something right it's it's a really it's a really kind of refreshing view to go talk to an immigrant even if you're not a hundred percent like pro-capitalist and an immigrant's perspective may be you know the bootstrap mentality even if your political things don't line up like mm-hmm. talk to an immigrant to America and you do kind of see like we the potential, even if we're not living mm-hmm. up to it, you see the potential of of what we can do here that right. that other people in certain parts of the world, uh, you know, we live in South Florida, a lot of people from Cuba here, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, you, you know, living under communist dictatorship is completely different than living in a free market right. country. Um, where you have a say in in the justice system, even it's 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 a really kind of refreshing view to have. Yeah, Canada, I think, gets that a lot too. They're a similar um, right. Um, people come there for opportunity. I I feel like this is more my personal take, but it's kind of like the American dream, like that stereotypical. Like I feel like it's kind of shifted into Canada. Um. I think we feel that way because a lot of Americans talk about going to Canada. That could be it. <laughs> and and also in America, we, we all thread into. I, I think I think in America we see, just like immigrants to America, see the the shiny parts of America. Uh, brightest, I think we see the shiny parts of Canada brightest without realizing. Oh, they have some of the same bureaucratic problems that we do, and some of right. the same political. Meyer, oh, their I'm history sure. of native people uh, is right. Uh, it, it, yeah. It, every, yeah, there's there's dark spots on every. That's and, true. You know, without getting too off track, I'm our not, new political podcast not, launching now. <laughs> I'm not speaking as an immigrant. I'm only just mm-hmm. perceiving the well, way the, I talk to immigrants. This is civics. Like that is kind of it. Uh, this that's the topic here. This movie could have been made as a, an educational film. I think it is. Uh, I right, think, but I mean, it could have specifically been like, we're going to make a drama that is an educational mm-hmm. film. I think this was more just focused to be like uh, kind of a white hat political drama or, I, or, or courtroom drama. I, I think if you added in like uh, a wildlife documentary, like voiceover explaining <laughs> like 
he pauses and wonders about uh if only they could get that fan to work (laughs) (laughs) yeah well um that's a good intro to this why don't we take a break and then we'll come back because there's a lot to pull apart in this movie it's there's a ton Uh, for for a short i mean this movie's only like an hour and a half is it yeah it's it's not long at all Hmm. uh and it takes place in essentially one room and a bathroom. It's a bottle episode. And there's so much in that. So uh, yeah. we'll start unpacking it when we get back from break. All right. Hi, this is Mouse. I'm Weens. <laughs> we have the Mouse and Weens podcast. I'm the mom that lives in suburbia with three kids. I'm alone. <laughs> She's the hot Hollywood cat lady. <laughs> And we have a fun podcast where we talk about life, love, and loneliness. <laughs> Pubic hair. Come oh, on. I'm sorry. We hope you come take a listen to us. We're on all the platforms, and we will see you soon. I have PMS. <laughs> Did you know that the Podfix Network, home of It's Not Rocket Surgery, Checking In with Chomo, and more, has its own network podcast? Go wherever fine podcasts are found and look for Podfix Presents. Network highlights, interviews, roundtables, and more. All showcasing the eclectic depth of Podfix talent. So, subscribe today. Podfix presents on your podcast app of choice. And check us out at www.podfixnetwork.com, at Podfix on Twitter, and official underscore Podfix on the gram. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved. And we are back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Mm-hmm. Speaking of breaks, like that? Uh, sure. I've been working on that one all day. Uh, My segue. Maybe you should have taken two days. Wow. Speaking of breaks, I don't know about you, but I didn't realize how into this movie and into the conversation and the arguments I was getting until the jurors would say, Let's take a five-minute break. And then I felt like I was taking a break, too. I was like, right. you could see them get up from the table and sort of walk it off. And I felt like standing up and walking around. I think a couple of times, that's when you and I would exchange a couple words about whatever. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, like, it, you really get into this movie in watching it. And... uh and I think that's really, like, a skill that this movie puts on display. Right. I think there's two separate things. There's, like, the intense dialogue um, and the conversation and really the main meat of the story. But then there's also, like, this ambiance that's, like, present throughout the film of just, like, realism and just, like, small talk and... yeah. It's really interesting to see. Well, it, there's there's like the grit of that room. Like, it's the hottest day of the year, they say. You, on the close-ups, you can see them sweating. Everybody's sweating. Everybody's uncomfortable. Everybody's smoking. Except for that one calm, collected guy. That one guy. I love him. Uh, which makes it great when he does start sweating mm-hmm. near the end. Um, but And then even when it starts to rain, like... There's that ambiance in the room too. Like right. everything, it's a mood shift. everything is 
it, it is a mood shift and it's where the plot shifts too. Right. Um, but everything is this sort of uncomfortable. This is not some glamorous room in this, you know, the, the, the building, the courtroom, this big grand building they show you from the outside. And then this little shitty room with a fan that doesn't work and it's hot. It's not air conditioned. You know what I mean? They spend all their money on the courtroom itself. Sure. And then this juror's room is just end of the line the, kind of. Right. The actual justice system is displayed as this very prominent, grandiose thing. Mm-hmm. But the reality of how it works, there's nothing glamorous about it. And and right. I think that's that's the great contrast. And it sets the mood for, for the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, like, those quiet moments um, where they take breaks, they're not empty moments. Like, no. Like, things happen. Like, it, those are, that's kind of, like, where the characters let their guard down. Yeah. When they're not arguing, and their small talk, it reveals their biases. Like, I think. Yeah, that's when you kind of see who they, who they are. Yeah. yeah, like, before they actually start the whole discussion, uh, when the holdout, before he's even the holdout, is just looking at the window, and one guy's talking to him, and he says something like, uh, he says, like, oh, I'm I'm glad we got a murder case, you know? Like, some of oh, these yeah. cases uh, can be so dull, like, this one's exciting. Yeah. Uh, and the other, the holdout doesn't say anything, but, like, you can see in that moment, or at least maybe I'm, like, putting my thoughts onto his like what a poor tasteless thing to say like sure you're gambling with a man's life here and you're like using it for entertainment everybody's very flippant about about all of it yeah right uh uh, jack warden at the end of the table the guy in the hat he's got baseball tickets you know and he's like he's in a hurry i gotta get out of here i got tickets to the game tonight you know and and this kind of everybody is is inconvenienced by this trial and he's the only one taking it seriously and that can be frustrating it's like a group project when uh when like you're the only one doing any of the work it yeah or um but a man's life is at stake so it's more than that it, it it is that but it's also just the not just the frustration of being the only one doing the work or the only one taking it seriously but um the the peer pressure aspect of it like to be the holdout to be the voice of opposition for morality mm-hmm. is almost an un-american thing to be sometimes like it is or it feels that way to be like to be the bleeding heart they even call him a bleeding heart in here they call they, him a do-gooder they insult everyone as who's... as an insult right. and and this this sort of like you're not being tough enough you're not just just go along to get along kind you of thing you and your emotions it is yeah so I, I think there is there's something really um great about the bookends of this movie where henry fonda is is the holdout at the beginning and he's very measured and he's very collected and very put together. He's very coherent. He's making sound arguments and he's being courageous in the face of these 11 other people who just want to go home. Mm-hmm. And then it flips and he gets 
all but one to his side. And the last holdout for guilty is screaming and ranting, almost violent. He's falling apart emotionally and just sort of revealing that he just is an angry, angry man who kind of wants to screw somebody over. Right. You know, like, uh, and his prejudices are, are all coming out. He's angry about his kid and that, like... It's such an emotional... It really is. And and I think the... I think it's a brilliant way to bookend the deliberation of this. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the contrast of one against the other. Um... And, and it, I don't know, just something about that really struck me. It's like, how, how are you going to behave when you are the voice of opposition? And, and it's even like, they're the ones calling him emotional, uh, when he's the one using logic and being like, this is all about, um, whether or not there's, um, concrete proof. And then the other people, the pe the people who are, uh, trying to vote guilty, they're all using emotional reasoning. Right. They're not using logic. Or at least a lack of critical thinking. Um, the idea, and this is like still a thing uh, today with like, oh, there's an eyewitness who saw him do it. And, you know, when they really start pushing it, they're like, oh, she was across the street without her glasses looking through a, an L train. Right. Like... Even when there isn't stuff like that, do you know how faulty human memory is? And and that's what that was the other guy, the the downstairs neighbor, like right. the idea of like maybe he thinks he rem- you know he's misremembering right. something. No, no one's gonna just completely make up a story, but like our memory, our perception of events is not reality, right? No matter how good you think your memory is. I, I was I was trying to think of the last holdout, and that was Lee J. Cobb. That okay. was um, that in, guy. In my notes, I just called him the abuser. He was... <laughs> right. Well, uh, yeah, kind of. I mean, he talks about his relationship to... His son. His son. But also just in how he treats everyone. He's uh, kind he, of... Yeah, he's very... He's very... Um, uh, bullying. Very kind right. of like pushes his way through every argument. Can I go back to, uh, you said something about like the peer pressure of being a holdout. Yeah. Um, I don't think everyone thought guilty like in the beginning. Um, when there's only one holdout, uh, they decide to go around the table and all the people who voted guilty are going to say their reasoning. And a lot of them have reasons which are, circumstantial and brought up from the persecution uh but or prosecution Prosecution, whatever they're similar words (laughs) and the one guy uh who later it's revealed he like comes from the slums to oh jack klugman yeah right uh he says can i pass i think like i saw that as a sign he's going along with the crowd he doesn't even necessarily believe that this is true he's just going along with everyone else because he doesn't want to be the holdout or he um because that's a common thing in crowds is just going uh, along for sure um it it, i think it was a little of that and a little bit of just taking the evidence as presented he hadn't you know broken down the i mean when someone says they they saw him do it and i think that was a lot of them the 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 smaller 
dude with uh, Piglet, the guy. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and yes, uh, this guy in this actually did play Piglet. Let me find his juror number his two. His name juror number two is John Fielder, and he played Piglet in like the the nineties and early two thousands <laughs> in the Winnie the Pooh stuff. And when you when you hear him argue with other jurors, and it's Piglet's voice, and you realize that it is. Kind of surreal. <laughs> like, Rabbit said he saw him stab. <laughs> but we um, can't sentence Pooh to the electric chair. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, I forget where I was going with that, but um, yeah, I feel like they they all eventually start to just think more critically throughout mm-hmm. there. Um, but you brought up Jack Klugman and his character, and I was really shocked at how, like, emotional his character was. Like, he was this very kind of soft-spoken guy um, who kind of reveals throughout the movie that he comes from a rough neighborhood. And here he is watching people discriminate against this kid because he, mm-hmm. the kid comes from a rough neighborhood. Right. And, and when that final when he finally breaks and throws it out there and he's like, I came from the slums and I I uh I played in, in backyards full of garbage and, and, and what of it, you know, sort of just kinda kind of calls them out on their prejudice. Right. Uh you you can see him throughout this movie get a little more like I don't think cocky's the right word, but like he gains confidence to stand up to these people yeah cocky is not the word but yes he does um you can see he's kind of just quiet and then the more i think he gets brought over to that side and the more he sees other people going to that side it probably kind of feels a little like a personal victory for him Mm -hmm. to the point where he he volunteers uh his knowledge about knife fighting from being right. in this neighborhood and seeing uh, terrible things. He's like, that's not how you use one of those knives. Mm-hmm. And I know this. And, like, that's that's like a huge step for him. Right. To feel uh, validated or caught up enough in this uh, case to be like, okay, I'm going to... I have something to add to this. Right. Um, yeah. He's a, he's a really uh, great character, I think. Which, that's actually uh, one of the things, like, the demonstrations that they do in this movie. Like, uh, w- with the stabbing and with the, uh, yeah. here's the bed. We're going to walk and see how how long it would take. Oh, and they measure out the, the steps. Okay, if he, had a, mm-hmm. if he had a bum leg, how long would it take him to get to get right. this far? It, it adds momentum to the story and uh, it's captivating. And, and it's a visual aid for the audience. That's right, done, that too. and it's done in a, an organic way. It's not like shoehorned in, like mm-hmm. okay, audience, we're going to show you now. It's right. not a flashback. This movie is a lot of um, tell, not show, but in those moments, they do just sort of, they are just kind of like, yeah, we're going to show you how this works. Now. But it's also such a, I mean, this movie is a conversation, so that makes sense. Yes. It's such a... They do everything in this movie organically. I think the only thing that stuck out is like, oh, this is kind of a movie moment, is uh, when they all turn their backs on the 
um, yeah. on the man who is just raving about, oh, poor people are, they're like this. You right. can't trust you them. You can't trust them. And, they and, lie. They uh, don't even know the truth. They all slowly get up from the table. And, uh, and the other part of that that I love is the camera work from that mm-hmm. scene. As they're getting up from the table, the camera is pulling pulling away and the shot gets wider and wider. E- even we aren't giving him the time of day to it, listen right. to him. It, and at the end of the day, it really shows him alone at the right. table. Like it is it is a I th- I think that's where like the direction of this movie Sidney Lumet who, you know, went on to do all these big movies. Uh he did a, a movie with Philip Seymour Hoffman, like right before he died called before the devil knows you're dead. It's a super dark, like crime movie. He did these kind of dark things like Serpico and dog day afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really clear. Like he's pushing a vision and these details like that all the way back in the fifties, he's doing this. He's pushing the vision and he wants to get his point across to you. And the way he does that is atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And then just the, God, this camera work is so weird, but it's so great. Like, remember we kept talking about like the, the old man, the really old man at the, at the Mm -hmm. table, the the nice old man. Every time the, he said something, it was so tight on his face. Like he's like, listen to this old man. He's like forcing this guy in your face. Um, but yeah, everything is so purposeful. Mm-hmm. Every bit of direction in this in this movie, there's a there's a point to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I don't bring up that scene as a bad thing. Uh, no, like no, it, it's a great moment. It's just the only thing in this movie. It sticks out just a tiny bit because it's the only thing that seems like something that people wouldn't naturally do. Right. It's it's like it, the I am Spartacus or something like that where right. it's like this only happens in a movie where people gradually like a slow clap. Right. You know, like <laughs> like this kind mm-hmm. of thing. But yeah, I get I get what you're saying, but I still loved that that point. Yes. It, yeah. It, it's 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 not real, but it is poignant. It's, it's pointless to listen to or to even argue with people with these biases because they just won't listen to you. Is, so you just have to tune them out, shun them away from the table, and continue your conversation. This is, I don't want to go off on this track, but people who followed Trump on Twitter and commented and argued, and, you know, and I was always of the school of, I don't follow him. I don't see his tweets. Mm-hmm. I don't want to know the hateful garbage this man is spewing. You know, I'm not giving it the time of day. It's not even like inherently political. Like I, w- I used to have a really bad habit of arguing with like flat earthers yeah. or like toxic Star Wars fans online. People, because I just can't help myself. People hate follow. People have talked about Twitter being a dumpster fire because. They hate follow people. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, no, follow your friends and have conversations with your friends. It's bad for your <laughs> mental health. It really, really is. Um, so, but yeah. this is sort of like, here we are 50 years before social media. They're showing you, okay, in 50 years when they make a thing called Facebook, this point where everyone gets up from the table and leaves, 
That's what you all need to do. If, if they like, made a modern version of this, everyone would pull out their phone and un- unfollow. Yeah, when they first come into the jury room, they all like, hey, what's your, what's your handle on Twitter? And they, they all start following each other and then just like slowly. I know it's a joke, but... <laughs> I know that's a joke, but isn't it illegal? Aren't you like not supposed to say it, your name? Yeah. Uh, or is that just uh, like no, a... I don't I don't know that you can't say your name. I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to have a phone. I think there's an anonymity uh, thing. Uh, uh, I I think they're not probably released to the public. Okay. I don't know if you Cuz like at name. the end of the I've movie they tell each jury. other the name cuz right. they're like now that it's over. Yeah. They only refer to each other by the number. Yeah. Yeah, that is all their character names in this is jury, juror number one, two, three, all right. the way around. Which is pretty convenient when you have a movie with 12 characters. It's pretty It's pretty wild. Um, yeah, it seems lazy, like, oh, they just didn't want to name them. But they gave, I mean, there's 12 distinct personalities mm-hmm. in this room. In, in the beginning, like, it's, when you start off, it's a little hard to tell them apart. Uh, right. But as you go on, you, it really is distinct. I think the only, like, there's, there's like two or three guys that are kind of like barely in kind it. of anonymous, yeah, right. Um, kind of, uh, but even those guys, they made look distinct. Like the advertising guy, mm-hmm. who doesn't say a lot, um, but he's wearing a dark suit and glasses, yeah. you know, um. But yeah, there's a couple around the table who are just kind of there, yeah. you know. Uh, they they weigh in, but they're they're more to flip flop. Um, there's the two, three, three older guy, four older guys, I think, and then everybody else is just sort of right. yeah. Well, well, I think uh, I noticed with the two main old guys, there's the the bigot. There's Lee J. Cobb mm-hmm. and um, Ed Begley. Right. Which, speaking of Better Call Saul, Ed Begley Jr., his son, is in Better Call Saul. Really? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, Ed Begley Jr. Uh, If you want to see... This is completely off topic. Ed Begley Jr. is in... I don't remember the movie. Uh, There's a movie... I think it might be like Amazon Amazon Women on the Moon, where it's just... It's a movie full of comedy sketches. Like, it's not a... It's it's like okay. the Kentucky Fried movie or something like that, uh, where Ed Begley Jr. plays the son of the Invisible Man, and he takes like the invisibility potion, but it doesn't work. But he doesn't know it doesn't work, so he takes off all his clothes and like <laughs> runs into a bar. He's like moving things. Ooh! <laughs> like, it's absolutely just it's so fantastic. But uh, that's great. Uh, every time I hear Ed Begley or Ed Begley Jr., that's what I think of. So. Um, yeah, every time he spouted out how they're all the same, I'm like, your son was naked in a bar. <laughs> like, and it is hilarious. You don't know how to raise your kids. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. But yeah, uh, his character and the kind old man, they're like the opposite of each other. Like yeah. one is the wisdom of the story. One is the hate of the story. Right, uh, one is very a, kind, mm-hmm. one is very hateful, um, and then a, the other two old men, who was Ed Bagley and the old man who's the immigrant. Right. I, I feel like they were sort of antithesis too, because he was more just like 
intolerant of, oh, they, 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 they. And this man who was an immigrant who came to be part of the melting pot was sort of like representative of, of the they. You know, even though he was a, mm-hmm. a European right. uh, white man, he was an immigrant and he was an outsider to America. There's Well, the term white is also like... Sure. You... At different times, we've excluded different people. Uh, Absolutely. Irish, Italian, Jewish, Mm -hmm. uh, all all of that. Yes. Right. Uh, There's an ugly, Um, ugly history of all of it. Right. Uh, I I think he actually is more of a foil of baseball ticket guy. Um, Oh, wow. Like, because one of them is like happy to be there, happy to perform his civil duty. um, And the other one just like. They all kind of want to go home, but he's, like, the most outwardly, all right, I'm just going to vote whatever uh, as long as it gets me home faster. Well, he has that scene with him, and I did want to speak to this a little bit because there's a, I feel like he takes it out on on, uh, hat guy, baseball ticket guy. Yeah. And he calls him out. And is like, you're just saying whatever everybody else is saying. And he's like, you know, what kind of a man are you, essentially? He says something in that vein. Right. It's a little accusation It's... I, I don't think it is. And this is where I'm going with this. Um, uh, yes, it is an accusation. But it's him calling him out on... From my corner, this is what it means to be a man in society. And I understand that's sort of a misogynist or uh, almost anti-man sentiment now is to define what a man is. like. Mm-hmm. And I get that. I, I, I go back and forth on a lot of things because in a lot of ways, I think I, I have a lot of traits of like this old school masculinity that still hang around. But without the being exclusionary, right. like, hey, woman, go make me a sandwich kind of thing. Like, I, I understand like that's, but the, the, there's a lot of discussion about like, what is it to be toxic in an old school masculine way? Mm-hmm. And the uh, Lee J. Cobb is talking about how he doesn't have a relationship with his son uh, because basically he used to beat his son to uh, make him, to make him a man. And this man, uh, the immigrant, is calling out uh, the the other guy with the tickets and saying, you're not a man because you don't even think for yourself. You're not like it's essentially mm-hmm. saying you're not an adult. You're not strong enough to stand on your own. You're to, a child. To, to put the man thing on it, it could be man, woman, anything. You're not an adult. You don't have the strength of conviction mm-hmm. to actually do this. And this I, is about maturity. I thought this it it's it's a framed discussion about what a man is, but that's the other spectrum they're defining here. And Lee J. Cobb is at the wrong end of all these spectrums. You remember like as the holdout. Remember how I talked about yeah. how one is composed, one is falling apart, as defining what a man is. You know, Lee J. Cobb is on the wrong end of that spectrum, and this older gentleman, this immigrant, is saying, no, that's not what a man is. This is what a man is. Think for yourself and make your own decision. This is important. And actually calls him out on it. And I think that's just such a beautiful moment to 
to sit there and yes, it can be interpreted as he's, he's being insulting and he's, he's accusing him of something, but he's also guilty of it too. He's, mm-hmm. he's not being a man. He's not being a grown up. He's being a child who wants to go to a ball game, mm-hmm. you know? And I just think, I think that's such a great character moment for that, for that, uh, guy who gets up out of his chair and just chastises him in front of everybody that that is a great for just flip-flopping for the sake of going home you've actually made me realize something i don't know if this is what you meant but um the abuser sort of represents all of the flaws like this jury each one of them has their own flaw and he is like the culmination of them like there's um there's the not wanting to perform your civil duty there's the going along with the crowd there's the uh believing circumstantial evidence there's the your biases are affecting you and one by one throughout this movie uh they debunk all of that in order and it slowly gains like the people who represented that the most right uh they kind of go head on head uh and the abuser is like constantly, no matter what the topic is, he's like, yes, yes, he's on like their side. He's defending these people, right? Uh, even after that's sort of been like debunked, uh, and then it—that's why he ends up being the lone holdout. Is he doesn't? Um, now I've kind of lost my word. He's kind of he's kind of cut ties with everybody as it suited him throughout. Right, the yes. whole thing, and then when he wants them to come back him up, they're like, "No, you debunked us and kicked us off to the side. You said that didn't matter. You said throw all that other evidence away." Yes, he uh, he backed himself into right. a corner, alienating everyone. There's a great, um, there's just like a great series of moments of him, uh, getting his card pulled basically like as he's like that knife's super rare and then henry fonda pulls out a knife just like it and puts it on the table and mm-hmm. and all of these little things that he he does and people turn the tables on him and they're just sort of like in another movie this would be the lawyer pulling a surprise on the stand surprise you know, witness surprise yeah. witness and oh my god oh they asked the question that led into this but really like this happening in the jury room between jurors i think puts us that whole other dynamic on it that i think was great right uh before i before i lose it the guy playing the uh the immigrant gentleman is george voskovec and he he is from the czech republic uh uh i mean he's been dead for 40 years now but um and I, I think he's just great in this movie. He is. Like, uh, in his... He, he brought charm to his role. He he, he brings, like, a, uh, this this almost kind authoritarian, like a grandfather, mm-hmm. kind of, kind of like a wisdom. And um, he's not... He's kind of plain spoke, like, straight to the point, but he's not mean. Yeah, you know, until but, he gets his patience tested. Like, and, like when he says he says little things like, "I don't think you know what." Uh, oh, what is it? Um, I don't know. Crap. Like doubt. Uh, 
Oh, reason, reasonable doubt. Reasonable yes. doubt. I, I don't think you know what that term means. Right. Because right. he's using it incorrectly. He, he just says it a little bluntly. Yeah. Um, yeah, he went on... Uh, uh, he did a lot of TV... Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, uh, you can see like, this was a character actor for a lot of years. He was on like every show, 135 credits and, uh, man, for him. he is, he is just, I think one of the standout characters of these 12, he's one of the big standouts to me. Um, just because I, I found him like so charismatic. He wasn't, he didn't have the biggest role and he didn't talk the most, but I feel like every time he spoke, it was something important, and he just delivered it really well. I I think uh, the character that stands out the most to me is the calm, cool, collected businessman. Oh, Kevin Spacey uh, guy. He reminded me sure. of he reminded me of Kevin Spacey so much. Yeah. Yikes! Um, Let's look into what this guy's done. No. <laughs> Oh. Uh, let's see. E.G. Marshall is that guy. Okay. He he has the funniest lines in this movie. Like, uh, when the guy asks him if he sweats and he just says no, because he's the only one wearing his coat <laughs> right. in this hot room. <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, when the abuser and him are at the water cooler and the abuser's like, oh, he's trying to get a rise out of me. Uh, and he just takes this water and goes, well, it didn't work. Well, it worked or right. something. Yeah. And then yeah, he yeah. just walks away. Uh, just casual observation. Yeah, I didn't realize it until just now. I saw this guy uh, just a month ago when I was watching National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. He Oh, I, I thought you meant like on the street. <clears throat> no, I was he's, like... he's been dead for 20 <laughs> plus Everyone years. in this movie's dead. Uh, yes, everyone in this movie is dead. Um, but yeah, he plays... Uh, he plays... Uh, Clark's Chevy Chase's father-in-law in okay. in National Lampoon's Vacation. He's the president in uh, Superman Two. Um, man, yeah, all of these guys, tons and tons of credits. These mm-hmm. these were character actors who worked and worked a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, I mean, just a stellar cast. I think, um, even if you we don't remember their names, you know, like I said. We saw them later on in their lives a lot, and and it's this just, is out um, of our age. It's out of our time period. Yeah, yeah. This is this is a, a head of of it for for both of us. Uh, John Fielder, yes, was in. He was in Winnie the Pooh and stuff like that. He was also in a connection to our show. He was in True Grit, not the one we watched, the original one with John Wayne. Okay, uh, where he was uh, Lawyer Daggett, who was played by. Um, uh, Tenzin, what's his name? Oh, uh, uh come on! Uh, <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> screaming at us. <laughs> what am I forgetting this right now? The, the guy, he's in the farmers, uh, yeah. insurance, <laughs> farmers insurance commercials. Yes. Um, his most famous role. Boy, I'm gonna have to edit this so much. J.K. Simmons. Oh, I knew it. Yes. It's J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons and him played the same role. Basically, okay. and J.K. Simmons is a great character actor. He's a lead actor now, but for years he just played those those roles. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, it's I I don't know what else there is to say about this movie. Um, 
do you have anything else you want to cover? Because I feel like we can we can get into a lot of a lot of stuff here. Um, I I really don't know. I think this movie has it all. I I did tell you last night. I think this is one of my favorite movies now. I think it's like that we've watched or like in ever in, in the world. Wow! Like, like as I was watching it, I think as the credits were rolling, uh, like. In my head, I was thinking, like, I would take this on a desert island. Wow. Like, this has rewatch value. Uh, that so is uh, that is high praise indeed. I've only seen it two times, so, like, that could change. Uh, I, I think in order to, like, rank something among, like, your top ten favorite movies, you have to watch it. You think least. you gotta give it a few years and kind of yeah, like, yeah. see how it sinks in? Um, I'll, I'll keep watching it. Um... No, I I think this is a a beloved movie. Um I I don't think it's on a lot of people's radar. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think it's a movie that like I knew this movie existed. This is the first time I'd seen it. Uh when I was in ninth or tenth grade, I remember reading the play in uh English class. And I don't remember, I remember the gist of the plot that it's about swaying people over. And um, I remember the knife argument, you know, stabbing down with a switchblade. Yeah. And um, no, no offense to your English class, but I don't think it had the performances to really cement this in your memory. We were pretty good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I take it back then. <laughs> but um, I, I think this movie is something... Uh, that you can't just easily explain to someone like, oh, hey, this movie about uh, 12 jurors arguing. Uh, like, it doesn't sound as good as it is. Yeah. It, this is a movie you have to experience to really appreciate what it's about. Um, and I'm going to make people experience it. I, th- I, I really hope that people who follow our podcast and want to watch things along with us I really mm-hmm. hope that people seek this movie out and and watch it. I, you know, we we talk about recommending things a lot, and a lot of things that I recommend are like, I don't know, I love this movie, but I don't know if I'd recommend it because of this and of this and of this. I don't, I don't have a single hang up for recommending this movie. I would recommend this movie to anybody. I think it's universal. Absolutely, even people who don't watch movies like. Uh, like my grandparents, I would I would have told to say like or my see, brother see this movie or yeah I think Logan would sit down and <laughs> and and I think he, this is a lot like your seventh grade civics class Logan would sit down to watch this movie and grumble about it for about ten minutes and then he would get done with it they they'd put the knife in the table and Logan would be like what? whoa <laughs> didn't see that coming no this Poggers. movie. This, <laughs> movie is is i think um i think it's underseen but it it shouldn't be it is on the afi top 100 list the 2007 list as it should uh it is that the most current um they do it every 10 years right oh maybe there is a 17 list um Mm. hold on let me look it was number 87 is is the AFI ranked or is it? I just thought it was a hundred in any order. The, no, they rank their their 
their top 100 list. Hmm. Um, that seems a little... Well, that's the... It's really hard to... Sometimes when you're ranking, it's like, this obviously goes towards the top and this obviously goes towards the bottom. But, like, maybe you have two that are even. Like, you can't just tie them. That's the interesting thing. I brought it up before uh, the podcast Unspooled, where they watched the right. the 100 movies. And that was a, a thing they talked about a lot. Is like, why is this on the list sometimes? Sometimes it would be, why is it this high? And... A lot of what they thought it came down to is who's in the AFI Mm -hmm. and did they grow up with these movies? You know what I mean? Like some of them are, are voters are, you know, a school of directors like George Lucas and Spielberg and Coppola and all these guys who kind of just vote each other in and they go, we grew up with John Ford movies. Therefore we're putting these John Ford movies in. There's like 10 Hitchcock movies in there. Granted, they're all great films, and I think they all deserve to be on there. But when they go, why is this director on there so many times? They go, because these guys loved Hitchcock. These mm-hmm. these people who are the voters in the AFI. So I'm sure a lot of them also grew up with this movie, you know, right. or, or this was a formative movie to them. They appreciated this. They saw it when it was new. And sometimes that is a bias coming through, but like... I think this deserves it. In our discussion last week about whether or not younger audiences are connecting with old movies, seeing as this feels like an underseen movie, and if younger audiences aren't watching anything that wasn't an enormous movie of Mm -hmm. yesteryear, is this movie going to be forgotten about in in 20, 30 years. Will it be knocked off the AFI? And the AFI list is not the be-all, end-all. It's just sort of it's like... people's opinion. It, it is. But w- will this be knocked off the list and just sort of forgotten to time in another 20, 30 years? I hope not. I'm going to say something that might be controversial. Okay, like, I'm not a huge fan of remakes, especially if the original is perfect. And this is a movie, like, I would never need to see a remake of this. Right. But if it's something that re-sparks interest in it... Sure. ...and keeps it in the mind's eye, then I think that should be done. I I mean, they remade this in the 90s. I, mean, it's it, been I think they remade years. it for, for TV in the 90s. Okay. But uh, we talked about this a little bit last night. And that this movie feels a lot like a play... I mean, granted, great camera work, great. This Mm -hmm. is a movie. Yeah. But this movie was sort of originally written as a play, you know, the the earlier version of it. And then it was this, and then it sort of, uh, you know, a TV version later. And there's something to this where you can kind of go, you can sort of treat it like a play. So it's not a remake. As much as like, you know how a play will get a new cast yeah, or, or a second run. They'll, they'll revive it and, and bring a play back on, on the Broadway. I, and then it just sort of is like, it's not a remake. It's just a new life being brought into this story. I think probably the same script even like, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would imagine that the nineties version is the same script. I don't know why they would change it. Um, yeah, I don't know why either. I don't know if there's anything that's inherently 
fifties about this movie. That, I don't know. Um, let's see. Let's take a rundown. Well, there's no more prejudice or racial or socioeconomic. Um, yeah, we solved that. Yep, that's all done. Uh, oh. There's no miscarriages of justices or oh, we got that. rushing to judgment over just surface level evidence and eyewitness testimony mm-hmm. that's unreliable. So yeah. that doesn't happen. There's no poor neighborhoods anymore. No. Yeah. Boy, you they know, may have I, to rewrite this entire thing. I don't think it's relevant anymore. Yeah. 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 I, um, well, nobody's nobody's seeing baseball, so that's something. I mean, yeah. <laughs> when this movie was made, what was that? The last time the Cubs won the World Series uh, before, no, it was like actually before that, it was actually like oh my gosh, I, I knew like, it was a long like time. Twelve, I didn't year, know. 12 years before this movie. Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, uh, yeah, I think this. I think this movie because the story is the important thing here, right? And the feeling of a play that this has, I think this movie could easily be remade and just sort of keep it in the in the public consciousness. And it might spark people. A remake might get people to go, well, I want to check out I want to check out the old one now. I think it could be a play. Oh, I, I think it could like definitely straight be a up play. like just get a Last Supper style table. Yeah. And have them sit there and I think the blocking and everything. Or it could be a play in the round. Where the round, yeah, like uh, where people oh, the, sit on all sides of the stage, right? But um, I've never seen that. Um, I like I've, I've heard ever, of I've it. Seen, yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen a play in the round either. I've seen a concert in the round. Yeah, that's yeah. wild. Twenty One Pilots, they do that a lot. Oh, cool. But um, yeah, if if you told me that this has been produced on stage, I I wouldn't be surprised at all. Right. Um, I think I think it's ripe for that, but. Yeah, I think this is a this is a slam dunk recommendation and something that I I really do hope um just like The Vast of Night or some of these smaller movies that we've seen that we want to spread the word about and we want people to seek out and get a bigger audience. Here's an old movie we've seen and it's sort of like you know, please watch this movie. Right. Like please, please keep it alive. Like let's let's keep let's keep this movie alive and keep people seeing it. It's a it's a mm-hmm. great it's a just a brilliantly written script. It's a brilliantly performed. I mean, it's it's uh, our conversation doesn't do it justice. It, it really, yeah. I, like you said, we can't. You can't explain it, but just in the same way, I was trying to explain like Glenn Gary Glenn Ross to you. Like the beauty of that thing is not in, um, it's not in the plot of it. It's in the fact that it is just scripted so tight and performed so well. It's an actor's showcase. Right. And and it's just got a brilliantly written script. This is like Glenn Gary Glenn Ross without uh unpunished toxicity and profanity <laughs> and and David Mamet storming onto set throwing things every day. Like this is just a I think it's just a a actor's workshop mm-hmm. that has a a super poignant point to it i i don't know what what won best picture in 1957 uh i don't know what movies came out then but this deserved to be it i don't know um are we doing a quick google search? i am doing a quick google search um because that that's good podcasting 
Um, we'll be right back. But no, I, I think this this is an incredible um, around the world in 80 days. I know the title. That's all I can say. Weird. Um, yeah. Well, that was in 57. I guess uh, 58 would have been oh. the year this was eligible. So forgot it's the year after. Right. Yeah. It's like trying to figure out Super Bowl years. <laughs> Uh, Bridge on the River Kwai, great movie. Uh, yeah, it's hard to argue that one. Um, but uh, Hitler only had one ball. All right. That's the song. Um, That's a song? Yeah. Oh, my God. You know that? Uh, that's Bridge on the River Kwai, and the lyrics to that are, Hitler, he only had one ball. Oh, my yeah, God. It's, um, I guess it would have been has. You know. Yeah, yeah, you learn something new every day. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if this was a, uh, I don't know if this was nominated for anything. You'd think like, well, well you said it didn't perform well, so like, uh, that, does, that does say something. Uh, but, uh, sometimes Oscar winners are movies nobody sees, you know, uh, not, I, not for the big picture, but like, right. Sometimes like well, cinematography. Or, well, don't you still have to kind of like pay to be nominated? There's a lot of like politics involved. Right. In, I think if your movie didn't make money, I don't think you have much of a chance. Yeah, I don't know. Um, that's a really that's a shame. It really is. Another reason why the Oscars are pointless. Not pointless, but like not a determining factor. This was brilliant. This was nominated for Best Picture. Oh, okay. Um, I don't take back what I said, but that's at least something. So, yeah. Yeah, in uh, uh, BAFTA Award, Golden Globe, uh, Henry Fonda. Uh, looks like Henry Fonda won. Standout. Uh, best Directing. Oh, oh. yeah. Uh, I think this, this got some award attention, but... Um, yeah, apparently not much box office attention, but uh, it happens. Hey, it's not too late, guys. Rent it. Yep, worth it. Um, but Is that all we have? Yeah, let's close it out there. Otherwise, we'll just keep rambling about this movie. Um, ironically, we did not become two angry men. We had nothing to argue about this week. We both no. loved it. Um, what do you got for shoutouts this week? All right, I have an interesting one that I did not put on our page. Uh, <laughs> no, you on did our not. notes. Um, so we all know the Bernie Sanders meme by now. <laughs> uh, the picture of him. This will age well. Sitting. At, <laughs> I know this meme is gonna die fast, but uh, there's a picture of Bernie. If you haven't seen it, uh, looking kind of grumpy and cold. Grumpy at the old man, Bernie. Yeah. yeah. Um, and people started photoshopping it everywhere. Well, the Bernie Sanders campaign is selling a sweater with it, uh, for $40 made, uh, union workers, um, in the U S and all of the proceeds are going to meals on wheels. I did hear about this. I think that's great. I thought it was a great cause and also funny and it's why I love Bernie. Yeah. It's currently sold out, but we're recording this like weeks ahead of schedule, I, I'm, I, so yeah, I'm hoping, I'm hoping it it's still in. available. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, it's great. Check it out. Uh, I have something uh, far more trivial. 
uh, this week <laughs> in honor of Jack Klugman, um, who comes up regularly in this group. I am going to shout out the Gravity Beard Interns. That is a Facebook group. Austin and I are both a part of it. It's essentially a uh, a a fake company. It is a company that doesn't exist. That what do you w- mean it's fake? I mean, it's a real company. We're all interns. It is, uh, as uh, Paul Chomo very poetically put it, it is serious discussions about the dumbest things ever. It is, uh, it's just a lot of fun. Nothing is taken seriously. There's no politics. There's no uh, BS in there. It is just uh, memes and, and polls and what's uh, for lunch, uh, weird food and just anything bizarre you find on the internet usually ends up there. And then we all just pile on and make jokes about it. It is, it's kind of, one of the very few reasons I'm still on Facebook at all. What What's your job again? I am. Uh, I I was. The, I am the head of security for incidents involving uh, small children and very small adults, <laughs> and uh, I am also a member of the transportation department. I make videos of driving trucks sometimes and post them in there. Awesome. Uh, it's all it's all in fun and uh one of the few places untouched by politics on Facebook anymore. It's it's just really a good time. It is. It does take a lot of work interning there though. Uh, so. I, you know, but it's a great place to work. I'm I'm right. glad to be an employee there. <laughs> uh, uh and I'll have a, I'll just it'll be a direct link to both of these. They'll be yeah. in our in our show notes uh when you download the episode. On that note, I want to just say thank you for listening to this episode of The Picture Show with Austin and Phil Rude. If you enjoy our show, please leave a review on your podcatcher of choice. It helps our visibility, and it helps us grow the show. That's right. Another way to help us grow is to tell people about us. If you tell enough people, we might even be nominated for an Oscar. Who knows? I'd like to thank the Academy. The, the best picture show? The, oh, uh, nice. Thank you. Yep, that's all I got. All right. Uh, I've got the wheel next week. What are you making us watch? We will be watching the Denzel Washington post-apocalyptic action movie, Book of Eli. That's quite the description. It's great. It's a, it's a favorite of mine. It is about the perversion of religion. It is about... Uh, Losing your way and uh, redemption, Ooh. all in a in a very cool and stylized um, presentation. I think the Book of Eli is a very underappreciated movie, and I I want to I want to talk about it here. I've 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 not seen it in quite a while. Um, I dug out the DVD today, and yeah, we're going old school DVD. Sounds cool. How? Uh, when did this movie come out? Um, I'm going to say it's 2004, 2005. I didn't look that up ahead of time, but, uh. I just general. It's, yeah, it's, it's not new, new, but, uh, Mm -hmm. I, I think Book of Eli is a really interesting movie. So, um. It sounds interesting. Yeah. Um. I don't even know what part of that description to like. Uh, there's a lot going on. there, yeah. But, um. But it ties up neatly. I believe Gary Whitta, uh, the sci-fi fantasy author, uh, he wrote Rogue One. I believe okay. he wrote or had some involvement with Book of Eli. 
I may have to eat my words on that. Well, um, either way, now I'm excited for next week. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it too. So I like digging out an old favorite. Okay. Um, uh, what do you got for social media? I am austin.n.rude and Austin N. Rude on Twitter, uh, TikTok, and Instagram. All right. Find yep. him. Shout I him out. I wish I could change Twitter to make it easier, but it's... It's all good. Uh, all right. What about you? I am philrude.com. You can get my social media handles from there, but the most direct are at philrude on Twitter and at philrude75 on Instagram. You want to read our credits? Yep. We did everything ourselves. Well, there you have it. We'll see you next time on The Picture Show. See ya. <laughs> That'll do. That'll do, donkey. That'll do. (laughs) You're doing a parody of a parody right now. And isn't it great? No.